Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, our guest today is Dr. Carl Shapiris. He's the interim CEO of the American Counseling Association and an author, teacher, researcher. He has over a hundred professional publications and has authored seven textbooks, including assessment procedures for counselors and helping professionals, counseling research, quantitative, qualitative, and mixed methods, and so on. Please welcome him to the show. Hi, everyone. You just heard a little bit about our guest, Dr. Carl Shapiris. Carl, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited to be able to talk with you today. Absolutely. And I know you're traveling. So are you feeling the effects of jet lag? Or are you still in that excitement because you just, you know, are in the middle of still traveling? Well, I, I travel so much for the National Board for Certified Counselors that, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of blessed that I don't get really impacted by jet lag at all. Good. So this is actually a short hop just uh, from North Carolina to uh, California. Last month I was in Paris in Greece, um, and I traveled to Africa a good bit, so this is uh, fairly short for my typical travels. That's right. This is an easy one for you. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that I learned about was um, you're the interim president and CEO of the National Board for Certified Counselors. Tell us a little bit about NBCC. Sure. Um, NBCC is the largest counseling organization in the world. Uh, and what we do is really the, the foundation of our work is based on board certification for professional counselors. So, um, you know, if you think about a physician uh, who um, you look at for treating you that uh, may be board certified in gastroenterology or internal medicine, we do the board certification for professional counselors. Mm -hmm. So um, we uh, board certify specialty areas like clinical mental health, uh, school counseling, telemental health, um, and a range of other things. So that, that's the base foundation of where MBCC started, but we've really branched out into a range of things where we uh, work with uh, the National 
um, organizations. So I'm here in California actually to work with the institutes of uh, the National Academies, the Institute of Medicine, National Academies of Science, Engineering, um, and Medicine. And you're also international. So um, how yeah. how are you able to, or how was the organization able to break into? Okay, we're handling the United States, we're national here. It's very different when you get into other countries. What what was that? Um, do you remember what that sure. looked like when you started to, you know, branch out across the pond, so to speak? Well, uh, one of the areas that we really look at is how we can do advocacy and advance the counseling profession. It's one of our pieces of our mission. Mm-hmm. So it was natural for us to look at how do we take that to other countries and uh, branch it out past um, the U.S. And so we've been international. This is our 15-year anniversary, actually. Wonderful. Um, and uh, what really launched this for us is we had a meeting with the World Health Organization where we went to really educate them about what counselors are and what we do. And the director... Uh, that we spoke with at the time said, I know what counselors are. We need a million more worldwide. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a daunting conversation to really think about what it would take to get qualified professionals uh, in other places around the globe. And so with the, 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 the process that we had with the World Health Organization and uh, our collaboration with them, we developed uh, the mental health facilitator program that we now use in over 40 countries. Oh, fantastic. You know, I have a an organization. Our, our goal with our network is to have podcasts in as many countries as possible and in as many different languages as possible. And I had received some information from an organization that, that started not too long ago in Kenya and they're going to have a podcast on the network. And it was fascinating. And I know I know these numbers already from, you know, speaking to different podcasters in different parts of the world. But, you know, we're talking millions and millions of people in Kenya and they have 88 mental health professionals. Exactly. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Kenya is more advanced than some of the other countries exactly. on the African continent. Yeah. Yeah, it's just astounding, astounding to me. So I know we were going to talk a lot about or or a little bit a lot um, about telemental health. And I'm excited about that because I'm I worked for a long time in the business side of of mental health with EHRs and so on. And that was such a wild, wild west. Nobody knows what it is, how to do it. What does it mean? What does it mean for insurance? Is this a good thing? Is it not? So what has changed and, you know, brought this to the foray of being, this is a good thing. We know what we're doing. We have boundaries around it. And now we can, you know, have a better platform to move forward with it. Well, you're, you're right that uh, I think with any new technology um, or delivery system, it becomes a, a catch up game to figure out how do you do this with the best practice approach. Right. Um, and so for several years, really, um, everyone was struggling to figure out how do you manage this process? And I can remember when it first emerged and we had people from other countries providing teleservices um, in the U.S. without a license. Right. And, uh, so, of course, regulatory process has to catch up, uh, best practices, ethics, all of the different components. And one of those, is, of course, is board certification. 
And that's a way that we can then relate to the public that there's a trustworthy practitioner. Because the real question is when I log in as a client and I want to connect with a practitioner online, I'm not seeing them face to face all the time. Right. And I want to know how do I connect with that person? Do I trust them? Are they qualified? And so what's what's evolved over the years now, you're seeing that um, the, the providers have to provide services in a state for which they're licensed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that allows for some regulation and control there. So if I'm licensed in Texas, um, then I can only see clients from Texas, even though they're distant services. Uh, so we know that we're getting a qualified practitioner who's met the standards of the states and that they're held to certain regulatory processes and continuing education and things like that. Um, and then board certification is that step above it where we can say that people have taken voluntary action to take additional steps to um, demonstrate their best practice. I love that I'm hearing this because when this first um, started to, you know, come out a few years ago, there were, you know, the, there's always the um, crop up companies that are, or experts quote unquote, that say they're the one that knows everything and no one can disagree with them because no one really knew anything. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and a yeah. lot of those companies are, um, are thankfully not being asked to speak at conferences and things like that anymore because they do, they still don't know what they're talking about. So that's been really interesting for me to, see, oh, yeah, they're still hanging around and they're still not giving the right information. But um, a question for you about this. So I know that, um, you know, you can provide telehealth services in the same state with which you are licensed. And that means that insurance will pay for it. But you can, uh, what, where is the, the line there? Can, can they stay um, certified with your organization if they provide telehealth services to people out of state that aren't going to be using insurance? No, in fact, there's, there's, the states have evolved in terms of their regulations about who can provide services. Mm. Uh, and so the, the vast majority of states now have really um, put some clear language in that guides that only a practitioner who's licensed in that state can provide those telehealth services. Okay. So now I could be licensed in multiple states. So, and I, and I particularly am. Okay. Um, so I can um, say that I would, I'm actually licensed in Texas. So if I'm in North Carolina, I could still provide telehealth services in Texas. Gotcha. But they have to have the licensure in that state because right. they're still with that loosey goosey stuff that was going on. You'd say, well, I'm a counselor. I'm not going to bill insurance. They're paying me direct. And I call it life coaching. Um, That's a whole whole different process. (laughs) Exactly. And what I'm hearing you say is if they want to be certified with your organization, they're not going to be doing those things. Right. Well, let's, you know, clarify, you know, when somebody calls themselves a a coach. Right. uh, That that is a a different profession and there are different guidelines that should. Yes, there are. And if somebody is using that as a way of providing therapy. By calling, by calling themselves a coach to provide therapy without a license, that's an unethical practice. Well, there's that. And then there are also licensed therapists who have international clients, let's say, that go, that do telehealth services. And that therapist makes it very clear, this is not, 
I'm not providing you counseling. This is life coaching and there's language that I have to use differently in order to work with you. What do you say about those kinds of things? Um, yeah, I still think that's that's problematic that you have if you there are international guidelines that we have to follow. Or even in the United care. States, right. let's say right. even in the United States, they did this. Well, you know, there are platforms now that are providing international services. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you mind me mentioning particular platform no, names. Go right ahead. Um, but for example, I'm familiar with Talkspace. And uh, one of the reasons I'm familiar with them is because they are one of the companies that really is committed to board certifying all of their practitioners. We'll talk to uh, them about wanting to be a sponsor of our show. So, yeah, oh, go yeah. ahead and talk about them. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, they, uh, they they really are committed to having the highest uh, pra- quality practitioners, and they mm-hmm. go through their internal training, but they also want the, the practitioners to have that external board certification in telemental health. Good. Uh, and they provide international services. Okay. So I know that their providers do provide counseling on that platform, but and they don't call it coaching; they call it counseling. Okay. Uh, and so there's, you know, the other different service providers that are out there that are still bending what I would think are some ethical practices around that. So right. I think if you're providing counseling, you should be very clear about that of what the services you're providing, not call it something else. Right. Um, while you may be able to skate around. The fact that uh, other, especially developing countries, haven't put together um, the regulatory process yet, it doesn't mean you shouldn't follow your ethical code and your licensure requirements that are within the state you reside. Absolutely. So tell our listeners why NBCC was even created. Was it because there was nothing out there that could provide the services that you do so you were fulfilling a need? Or what was the reason why it became what it's become? Well, uh, counseling itself is actually a fairly young profession. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um, And and so when counseling had been emerging um, and the process of state licensure was uh, occurring, there was a recognition at that time that uh, other professions had board certification, such as uh, the medical profession, and that this was a voluntary process that people could go through to demonstrate trust to the public uh, that they've gone through additional steps, that they've taken exams, that they've uh, doing continuing education, that they have a code of ethics. And so it started off as a startup to see, you know, does this really apply in the counseling profession, you know, as it does in the medical world. Uh, And so it started very small with a small number of employees. Uh, There were really just five or six employees at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And and now we're up to 150 employees in the U.S., employees around the world. Uh, And uh, so it it took a long time to grow. You know, it's a 30-year process of starting from educating the public about board certification, ed- educating counselors about board certification. And um, why that's important. And why why that's important. important to the public and why that's important to the counselor to have that certification. I can absolutely see that. So are there, um, are there what, what kinds of uh, programs, you know, are, do you offer, are there conferences, classes in different areas, online classes? Give our listeners a little bit. A lot of listeners are, are counselors that tune into this show. 
Sure. So we're, we don't really do classes. We're, we're not a membership organization, Okay. Uh, which, which is one of the things if you have counselors who are listeners, we, I, I hear often people say I joined in NBCC uh, and that that's not accurate. People become a, a certificate. Mm. Um, they, they've uh, elected to be board certified. They're not a member of the organization. They're a, a certificate. Gotcha. Uh, and so what we do is we offer a lot of continuing education opportunities. We offer free continuing education to our board certified counselors around the globe. And we're moving steadily toward the 70,000 mark on board certified counselors Wonderful. right now in the U.S. And that's just for our, our foundational level of the national certified counselor. Um, so we're really, uh, when you take into specialty areas and our international certifications, there's, there's a lot of counselors that uh, are certified by us. And so, um, I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something. <laughs> you could t- see, this is why counselors make great, uh, great interviewees because they can <laughs> tell when someone goes <gasps> and wants to say something. Yes. Um, I, I, when I was looking at your website, you know, you have a, a piece about government affairs and um, I've spoken at and podcasted from many a conference in the United States. And uh, some of them are very involved in government activities and some of them aren't. So uh, what level is NBCC involved in government affairs? Uh, in a very big way. And uh, I think that, that that's a great question. I appreciate you asking that one because when you go to our website, we actually are NBCC and affiliates. So mm-hmm. we have multiple organizations that come under our umbrella that I'm interim president and CEO of all of them. And uh, so we have our um, national board, but we also have the Center for Credentialing and Education, uh, which does the development of all of our assessment instruments that, uh, like, for example, our tests are used for licensure in all 50 states. So if you're a licensed counselor, you've taken one of our tests through CCE. Wow. Okay. Uh, the uh, we, we also do management of other organizations. So, for example, the American Association of State Counseling Boards, which is the like if you have a licensure board in your particular state, that licensure board is a member of the National Association, the American Association of State Counseling Boards. We manage them. Um, we manage state licensure boards for the for various states. Um, and then we have a government affairs office that's in Alexandria, Virginia. And so we have uh, meetings on Capitol Hill all the time. We do a lot Mm -hmm. of advocacy. We spend a lot of time working with uh, um, state or federal organizations as well as state organizations um, in advancing policy, advancing legislation. We work very heavily on Medicare. Uh, We have participated in White House convenings on uh, mental health. Uh, We we work with the uh, Health Rehab Services Administration. Uh, on the development of grants for, um, uh, like, for example, the Behavioral Health Workforce Grant Program. We've, we've done a lot of work with advancing that for giving stipends to students uh, in graduate programs. And we also manage just one last one, and I'll let you get in, a word in. Uh, <laughs> I could talk for a long time. Uh, so the, the, the one big thing we do through our foundation uh, which is another one of our affiliates, is we manage um, the fellowships for the federal government for minority mental health. Okay. Uh, so we offer 
uh, $20,000, $20,000 doctoral fellowships and $8,000 um, master's level fellowships um, to students every year. And, and those students are either doing, uh, uh, they're either minority fellows working specifically specifically representing minority populations or working with minority populations. They're coming from um, working and specializing in addictions areas, which is another fellowship program. We also have rural scholars and military scholars that we, mm -hmm. we fund. And we, every year you asked about a, a conferences, we do a, a mental health symposium, a national mental health symposium in May of every year and bring all those fellows together. And is it typically held in the same place or do you kind of travel around to different areas for these conferences? Um, we have them in two different areas. We alternate between Atlanta and Washington, D.C. Oh, well, I'm right in between. So I definitely would want to bring some of uh, some of the people from my network. We'll talk about that offline. Um, last question for you. One of the things that it said in your bio is that you serve as an expert to media outlets in pediatric and family mental health. So explain to our listeners what that means in terms of being an expert to media outlets about these two particular things. Sure. Um, thank you for asking that one too. It, it's a rare thing in the counseling profession to have people specialize in pediatrics. Most of our training programs are geared toward uh, adult mental health and uh, or adult um, uh, addiction processes. Um, school counselors, of course, learn about uh, children and adolescents, but mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of adult children and adolescent mental health training. Right. And uh, I, I specialized in that from the beginning and started working with gang members early in the 1980s um, in inner city Pittsburgh, um, and uh, just really liked the, the kind of work I was doing, um, helping kids that were really in huge risk situations. And I, I wanted to figure out how do I prevent them from getting there. So I started to look at younger and younger ages over time, and then I started working with infancy, and then I started working with pregnant mothers to see if I could yeah. have an impact on the kids before they were born. And we, my, my wife and I are both mental health counselors. She uh, uh, is an expert in her own right in adult mental health. Um, and we actually do a lot of writing together. And we had a private practice together where we've done a lot of work with pediatrics. And she worked with the adults and I worked with the kids. And uh, so the- That's a great team, by the way. My goodness. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And so over time, I started to get a reputation for that and uh, started to work with public relations efforts. And I got outreach from things like Disney Family, uh, Prevention Magazine, the, uh, the various national uh, newspapers, uh, even had a, a chance to do an interview on uh, couple relationships with Match.com, which uh, was, was an interesting one to do. I'm but, sure. Uh, but, when, but when you work with kids, you end up working with parents yep. and families. And so that's how I ended up branching out into those areas. And, and just one last note on that. Um, you know, my, my, I have a son who has autism, he just turned 18. Okay. And uh, 25 years ago, I started working with autism, with early childhood uh, children with disabilities, specifically with kids who had autism, and then ended up having a, a child with the disorder myself. And so I became both the practitioner and the parent. 
and had it a different gives you a whole other perspective, doesn't it? It really does. And so, you know, I even started to, of course, branch into advocacy for other parents because I knew what types of advocacy I had to do for my own son. Right. Yeah. Well, our program director, Melanie Van, has talked many times. She's has her master's degree in psychology and uh, her son, who's seven, has autism. So we're all about that. And we even produce a show on the network that's um, for a hospital that works with um, kids with autism. So we're big, 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 big supporters of anything to do with that kind of an initiative. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show, everyone. This was Dr. Carl J. Shapiris is the interim president and CEO of the National Board for Certified Counselors and Affiliates and its division, which is their international division. So Carl, thank you. And please tell our listeners where they can find out more about NBCC. Sure. It's www.nbcc.org. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on our show. Oh, thank you. I really appreciated the time talking with you. Absolutely. And listeners, our listening family, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.